Hey, some new bumper music. I love it. In fact, it's some bandwagon music. Welcome aboard to the Broncos bandwagon fans, where we are 24-0 until we ain't baby. Literally, we're the only team in the NFL who can say that right now. So I'm thinking let's go ahead and enjoy that for a week or two until the harsh realities of the long, long NFL season start to bear down on us. They'll bear down soon enough. So today, I wanted to take what will likely be a last look back at the Hall of Fame game and give you my thoughts on the winners and losers from the game. Now, of course, this podcast is not going to hit the street until Monday or maybe even Tuesday, so finding hot takes that have not already been hashed and rehashed and rehashed by the rest of the fantastic Mile High Report staff is going to be a challenge, but I think I may have a couple at least. Okay, so let's start today with the winners. Now, my first winner, honestly, is everybody's number one winner. No, no special hot take here. And that, of course, is Vic Fangio. When we talk about this game, let's say five years from now, if any of us still do, we'll remember it as the game that Vic Fangio could coached, despite being hospitalized on game day with kidney stones. That alone is seriously badass. But there were two other moments in the game that made Fangio my number one winner. The first was in the second quarter when he threw the challenge flag on a defensive pass interference call. He had said previously that he wanted to be the first head coach to ever throw a challenge flag on a DPI, that being a new, a new rule this year. So he got his chance on a fairly obvious call on, on cornerback Lennon Stevens. If you watch the replay, a little bit of question about whether the ball was catchable, no doubt about the interference. But I was watching a Twitter feed when the play happened, and I saw a number of tweets saying, come on, throw it, Vic, throw the flag. And sure enough, he did it. But not because he thought it was a bad call, I don't think, but simply because so he could keep his word and become a very quirky piece of NFL history that literally nobody will remember a year or two from now. That was awesome. I thought it was just so fan-based, so, so fun. Uh, it was just a great, great moment in that game. But then the second call, I think, I liked even better. The Broncos were down three with 90 seconds to go and had the ball fourth and 14 from the Falcons 16. Obviously, in the regular season, you're going to take your field goal and play for overtime. But Fangio had the presence of mind to go for it and, and guarantee that there would be no overtime. I'm sure the kidney stones had to factor in. I mean, at that point, the last thing Vic Fangio wanted was more football. But I like to believe that this was a very businesslike decision. And even without the kidney stones, Fangio had no interest whatsoever in overtime. He, he and the coaching staff had seen what they needed to see, and the overtime was only going to expose players to injury. Very nice call there, even if they hadn't converted the touchdown. I think in that situation, literally a loss is better than going to overtime. There's something so genuine and clear-headed about Fangio. I really think he's going to make a pretty decent game day coach. He's not just going to follow the conventional book. If you think back to some of our previous coaches, Vance Joseph probably goes by the book and kicks the field goal and goes to overtime, you know, last Thursday. Gary Kubak, possibly the same thing. John Fox, certainly. Um, yeah, if Fangio's going to make his share of boneheaded moves during the regular season, no doubt. Every coach does. But I think he's going to have a plan and a set of big-picture objectives, and are, he's going to create some consistency and, more importantly, some common sense that he's going to bring to key decisions like throwing challenge flags and going for it on fourth down.
kudos to Fangio. Really an excellent first ever game as an NFL head coach. So my second winner for last Thursday's game was Bill Kolar. Now, when you break down the Broncos position group by position group, there's really a lot of mediocre, mediocrity out there talent-wise. Flacco, eh. You know, the offensive line, eh. Munchak has probably done more with less talent in his career, but that group really doesn't inspire with its talent. The wide receivers, eh. They'll go as far as Cortland Sutton can take them, and right now that doesn't look to be terribly far. I mean, Tim Patrick looks like a great wide receiver for um, Emmanuel Sanders is a fantastic wide receiver, too, if that's the, the role he ends up in. But, but so that, that group doesn't look great. Inside linebackers, defensive secondary, and, eh, you know, relatively mediocre. The one exception, to, my, to me at least at this point, is the defensive front five. Besides the obvious in Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, Kolar's defensive line is starting to look potentially elite. Adam Gotsis is starting to look like the freakish athletic talent Kolar pounded the table to get back in 2016. Derek Wolf, Shelby Harris, and Zach Kerr are going to be extremely stout. But you also saw last Thursday the next wave of defensive linemen that looks to be going to round out a really, really impressive defensive line. Demarcus Walker is looking like the number 51 overall pick in the 2017 draft with a defensive scheme that seems to understand how to use him and his particular skills. Dremont Jones, this year's third round pick, looked fantastic, as did undrafted rookie Malik Reed and several others. I think a lot of this is on Bill Kolar. So, finally, my third winner from last Thursday was Mike McCartney. Who of you even know the name Mike McCartney? Raise your hand if you even know who he is. And if you do, take a step forward and give yourself a pat on the back. Mike McCartney is the agent for Jawan Winfrey and also for Philip Lindsay. If you remember back to day three of the draft, the Broncos took Winfrey in the sixth round pretty well leaving the entire NFL scratching their heads because Winfrey had projected out as an undrafted free agent and not even a particularly highly coveted one at that. After the draft, though, McCartney came out and boldly said that Winfrey was going to be this year's Philip Lindsay. When I heard that, I know I rolled my eyes and thought, holy cow, here's an agent who's a little intoxicated on his big find from last year. But after Winfrey established himself as the number five or number six on the initial depth chart as wide receivers, and then he made the game-winning catch on Thursday, I'm kind of starting to wonder. Maybe Mike McCartney is onto something. So kudos to Mike McCartney. All right, so now on to the losers from last Thursday. Loser number one, of course, was fairly obvious, and that was Brendan Langley. Poor kid. He's drafted as a cornerback, and failing there, he's trying his hand at wide receiver for a final shot to play in the NFL, at least for the Broncos. And that kind of a move rarely works out. He shows up on the initial depth chart at number 9 or 10, which kind of puts him in that long shot position, a little bit like a team, you know, an NFL team that's losing 31-14 to 14 in, the third quarterback, in the third quarter. It's not like you need a miracle to win at that point necessarily, but you need absolutely everything to go right, which is what Langley needed. So when Langley muffed the punt in the first quarter on Thursday, it was like throwing a pick six in that 31-14 game. Now it's 38-14, and the fans are reaching for the remotes. That's just plain tough luck, and, I, and I'm sorry to hear that for, for Brendan Langley. Now, speaking of tough luck, my loser number two from Thursday was Devontae Booker. Earlier Thursday, the Broncos announced that Theo Riddick was going to sign with the team. 
that is likely a death knell for Booker, who really has no spot outside of injuries on this team, you know, behind Freeman, Lindsey, Riddick, and Janovich. But to make matters worse, he didn't even get to play on Thursday. I, I'm, I'm presuming that that happened because the coaching staff set the, the roster for the Hall of Fame game prior to the announcement on, on Riddick and, and the, with the assumption that Booker looked like he was, he was more of a, a bet to make the team. And Booker may very well, because of not playing, he may have fallen behind Kalfani Muhammad, who looked good in Thursday and was a name our friend Dom called out last week's show as looking impressive in camp. Very quick little bat who, who probably would be great for the practice squad. And he has also, Booker has also David Williams and undrafted free agent Devontae Jackson nipping at his heels. Booker has a tough, tough road ahead of him to make this team. I'm honestly not sure I see it happening. And finally, my last loser from Thursday was Brett Rippon. And honestly, it, it was through no fault of his own because he looked decent, you know, about as decent as you would expect an undrafted free agent rookie to look in, in his first preseason game, about what you'd expect. But I have a theory on Rippon. You old-timers will remember that John Elway and Gary Kubiak were both drafted by the Broncos in 1983. And, of course, Kubiak was kind of tonto to Elway's Lone Ranger for about the next 15 years. I think Elway liked that model. He tried to duplicate it in 2016 by drafting Paxton Lynch and Trevor Simeon. When he made that draft, I think he looked at Lynch and Simeon as being the Elway and Kubiak of the 2020s. And, of course, it was a spectacular failure, not so much because of Simeon, who really had the makings of a fairly solid backup NFL quarterback, but because of Paxton Lynch and his lack of a work ethic. But this year, I think Elway is at it again, this time with Drew Locke and Brett Rippon. But there's a hitch in the get-along, and that's that neither Drew Locke nor Brett Rippon look right now one game into the preseason as if they are ready to be legitimate backup NFL quarterbacks. That may sound like something you can just take a chance on, but imagine for a moment that the Broncos are 4-1 and one under Joe Flacco, and then Flacco turns an ankle or gets a minor concussion and is out for several weeks. If Locke is not ready, you may be throwing the entire season away. At least with Kevin Hogan, if Flacco were to go down for a few games, you have a chance that the other 21 starters could step up their games and Hogan could be just functional enough to pull out a win or two over several games and save your season. I'm not sure you're going to be there with Locke this year. And if you throw Locke to the Wolves before he's ready, you stand a very real chance of setting back his footwork, his progression reading, and most importantly, his confidence. So... Locke's fairly poor, albeit not disastrous, showing against the Falcons really raises the specter that Fangio and Scangarello may need to go into the season with Flacco, Hogan, and Locke as their top three quarterbacks and thereby expose Brett Rippon to waivers, which of course brings back bad memories of Kyle Sloter in 2017. Ideally, Rippon would clear waivers and sign with the Broncos practice squad and all would be forgiven, but obviously there are no guarantees there. Let me just say for the record that I'm absolutely, positively, 100% still on the Drew Locke bandwagon, but I think that our fears that he's simply not going to be ready to produce at the NFL level in 2019 are starting to look justified. So, ladies and gentlemen, there's my three, three winners and losers for the week. All in all, I liked how the game went. It was defensive. It was fairly boring. No injury. Several guys stepping things up. 
If you're Vic Fangio, I think you come away with it fairly satisfied, probably not ecstatic about it. But at this point in the preseason, that's really about all you're looking for. So, final personal note for me. I set up this week a Twitter account. It's SkipperDude84, S-K-I-P-P-E-R-D-U-D-E, the number eight and the number four. I'm a veteran with Twitter, but the SkipperDude account is brand new. So at last count, I only had like seven followers, I think. So I have an offer for all you listeners. For the next week, for anybody who follows me on Twitter, I will not only follow you back, I'll also go through your timeline and retweet a tweet of yours just to say, just as my way of saying hi. I'm planning to be more active on Twitter as the season gets closer and the games start meeting more, and I'd love to meet many of you. Kevin, back to you.